Welcome to the Equipping You in Grace podcast. We are so excited that you are joining us for the show today. This podcast aims to explore a biblical life view in a conversational tone. Let's join our host and founder of Servants of Grace, Dave Jenkins, for today's episode. Thanks so much for listening. Welcome back to the Equipping You in Grace podcast. My name is Dave, and I'm the host for this podcast. And with me today, I get to welcome Jim Neuheiser. Jim, welcome to the Equipping You in Grace podcast. Thank you, Dave. Can you please tell us about your life, ministry, and some of the current ministry projects that you're working on? Okay, well, that'll fill the rest of your time, but I'll I'll try to be abbreviated. (laughs) Um, The Lord saved me out of a non-Christian family when I was about 14. Had the amazing privilege of being in a church which had expository preaching in the Dallas area. A guy named S. Lewis Johnson was the preacher there. They had a lot of the kind of the stars from Dallas Seminary, including Haddon Robinson and Bruce Waltke and other people who became well-known later, like Greg Beal and uh, Sam Storms and Ray Ortland. So I had an amazing background. was friends with my the person who was to become my wife, starting when we were about 15 in high school. We went to college together at Baylor and uh, got married right after. I desired to be in ministry. Uh, more than anything else, I wanted to do for others was the Lord had done for me to the people at our church, but I also thought I was young, so decided to spend my 20s in business, wound up being sent by my company, which wanted being mobile oil company, to work in Saudi Arabia. And then while I was there in the 80s, I spent six years there, but five of those years, I actually was a pastor of an underground church of about 200 people of maybe 30 nationalities. And that was very life-shaping in terms of ministry in general, just seeing what the Lord was doing in so many places. I was a Reformed Baptist guy. And yet I had to work with people of all kinds of evangelical stripes, kind of uniting around the solas, uh, justification by faith alone and Christ alone, Bible alone is our authority. So that really confirmed the desire to be in ministry. Uh, got kicked out of Saudi Arabia in 1987, went to Westminster, California in Escondido. Lived there for almost 30 years after seminary, planted a church with some other men, and that church is still thriving, thanks be to God. Got involved in biblical counseling. Actually, Jay Adams was at Westminster the time, and then George Scipione, one of Jay's original protégés, was teaching there. Uh, got my doctor of ministry, began it under Jay before he retired. Uh, so I'm simultaneously preaching as the preaching pastor of our church, get involved with uh, biblical counseling, and now I'm in North Carolina. Maybe we ought to break that down a little bit, but uh, the last uh, two and a half years I've been at Reformed Theological Seminary here in Charlotte, something I never imagined that I would be doing. I thought I'd just be in Southern California the rest of my life, but uh, there's a new program in biblical counseling here, and so we decided that's where we could best serve the Lord. So yeah, that's as best I could do it summary anyway. <laughs> uh, yeah, I know that we were talking just before we recorded a little bit about you moving from Escondido, which is, you said, uh, right near uh, 10 minutes uh, just outside of San Diego, to move to uh, RTS Charlotte. Uh, could you tell us a a little bit about the counseling program at RTS Charlotte and you know what how you came to be there. Sure. Um, in terms of RTS Charlotte, it was probably four or five years ago when you know, so our Reformed Theological Seminary has multiple campuses and there's one seminary, but each campus has a little bit different flavor. And Dr. Mike Kruger, who's the president of this campus, is committed to biblical counseling. And there wasn't really a formal biblical counseling presence in the RTS system, but he determined, along with a donor who helped to make this possible to establish uh, a degree in biblical as they became more and more desperate to find the right person 
person who had the right set of qualifications. Uh, they pursued us, and we resisted for a long time because we been with the same people in our church for over 25 years. We're very happy there. I was also involved in IBCD, the counseling ministry there. I got to teach some adjunct courses at Masters, now University. I got to do some writing, so it seemed kind of like a, a, a dream life, and as I was about to hit 60, kind of way to kind of glide in to doing those different things. But we, my wife and I, as we thought and prayed and talked to our church in San Diego area, in Escondido, decided that the opportunity to serve the Lord here at RTS was probably how we could best use the last 10 or 15 years of our healthy, active ministry. And uh, we're really excited about what the Lord is doing here. I think RTS overall is just an amazing place. And we have a, a master's degree in Christian counseling, which is really biblical counseling. And Basically, about 60% or more of what they get is all the same Bible and theology courses that the Master of Divinity future pastors get, and then a major dose of using the Bible built on that foundation to do soul care, to use God's wisdom to help people. There's also a program for people who are getting a Master of Divinity kind of major in counseling or even get a dual degree. Uh, my wife actually graduated in the program the first two years we were here. She went through the program, so I know it very thoroughly from having helped her uh, review her papers and prepare for her exams and hearing about what happened in class. And so uh, we're thankful for what the Lord is doing. He's brought us some amazing students. I'm excited about everything they're being taught. Wonderful. Praise the Lord. Uh, I, I just consistently am impressed whenever I uh, interact with anybody from RTS. They're just very kind and gracious, uh, very focused on the local church, on serving the Lord and spreading the gospel and obviously reformed doctrine. So I, I love yeah, that. And hey, I will comment on that because they, they have an expression they want to use called being winsomely reformed. And I think they really are achieving that in a very special way. I think the involvement of Lake Duncan, who's our chancellor with uh, things like Together for the Gospel and, and others in our system with uh, the Gospel Coalition, is there is a deep commitment to the inerrancy of Scripture and a reformed biblical view of soteriology and to the historic Reformed confessions. But there's a very gracious attitude towards evangelicals who might differ on non-gospel issues. And even for me, I'm here in Charlotte as the lone Baptist on the faculty full of Presbyterians. And I believe that I'm as accepted and loved, and not just as an adjunct who, you know, they were desperate and had to hire a Baptist, but actually as a full faculty member uh, who, you know, taking that exception in terms of the Westminster Confession of Faith, but very much a part of the team. And uh, so I think that's in, that exemplifies the fact that they are winsomely reformed. And then as we'll get into some of the things in the biblical counseling movement, uh, I guess part of my job is also to be winsomely biblical in my counseling. <laughs> as there are people in the RTS system or throughout the country who may take somewhat different approaches and we can hold our convictions while still being kind and gracious. Well, I'd love to, I'd love to hear more about, before we get to the other questions I have, uh, just tell us a little bit about uh, your work with the Institute for Biblical Counseling and Discipleship, please. Yeah, IBCD is something very special. Uh, when Westminster Seminary in California started in the early 80s, CCEF, Christian Counseling Education Foundation, which was kind of one of the two founding institutions, the really the first institution in the revitalization of biblical counseling starting in the late 60s, early 70s, uh, they, be 
they when they'd been connected to Westminster in Philadelphia, and so uh, when Westminster, California began, CCEF started CCEF West. And that's what IBCD was originally called when it was established in the early 80s. George Scipione, who had been uh, involved in CCEF and had been one of Jay Adams' original circle, came out and he ran IBCD, which provided the counseling training. They had counseling degrees at Westminster, uh, California, counseling center. Actually, after I finished my doctor of ministry in the early 90s, George asked me as a local pastor who had some training and qualifications if I could come. Initially, it was to do counseling while students who were being trained would observe my counseling. And as time went on, uh, as I got well, with the NAC certified, now it's ACBC, I became the director of one of the branches of IBCD. And then I guess early to mid-90s, we became independent of CCEF, and that's when George changed the name to the Institute for Biblical Counseling and Discipleship. And then uh, Westminster, California, got rid of the degrees in counseling in particular, though George was still teaching some counseling courses there. But finally, he took another opportunity about 10 years ago, and when he left, he put me in charge of the whole thing, which meant I was kind of two-thirds a pastor and one-third a counseling training person. Then in the last several years, IBCD has really, really with the help of a guy named Craig Marshall, who was our operations director, become kind of a leader in providing, using technology, be it videos, internet, where we have the most extensive free resources kind of taking the you know the desiring god or later the grace to you approach that we just put almost everything we have out there as audios for free uh and we've had conferences now going on for over 30 years so we've got virtually every major figure in biblical counseling who's spoken for us in that time and most of those talks are online as resources for free both for counselees and for counselors and then we've created training videos and observation videos and so that work is still going on when i came here I'm, you know now i'm in charlotte and Craig took over a lot of the responsibility that I had at our church in Escondido Grace Bible Church. The IBCD has been a bit of transition, but we're still seeking to provide the, especially the observation videos are being used by not just churches, but seminaries and colleges is kind of what does biblical counseling look like? And then uh, the training is being used by churches. And we've updated that even recently, helping people to get either ACBC certified. And then IBCD has their own certifications where uh, the people who start ACBC training, uh, it's like two or three percent ever actually get certified. And I don't see that as a bad thing. It shouldn't be that easy. But IBCD has some levels of certification that kind of cover the same training, but it's kind of like the high school version instead of the college or graduate school version. And in a church, for someone who's not going to get ACBC certified, that can be a great thing for them to at least have an opportunity to, instead of just auditing the class, to have a way of passing some tests and meeting with church leadership to know how their counseling skills and gifts can be used in the context of the local church. Wonderful. Well, uh, that was uh, really interesting to learn more about a, your work, your life, and uh, about IBCD and uh, your your extensive knowledge of the biblical counseling movement, um, which kind of brings me, I guess, us to this question. What exactly is biblical counseling? Yeah. Um, <laughs> I gave a talk at last year's ACBC conference in which I, you know, we were celebrating the 500th year anniversary of the Reformation with Luther. And I said, it's kind of like 50 years ago, there was a similar <clears throat> Reformation in counseling and that the church had turned away from what had been the practice you can see in the New Testament of the elders shepherding the sheep and of you know older women helping younger women, as it says in Titus. And the church had begun to outsource their soul care to even 
secular practitioners or Christian practitioners who are really using secular methodology, which is contrary to Scripture. And Jay Adams, with Competent to Counsel in the late 60s, kind of nailed the theses to the door, not to start a new movement, but really, you know, Luther didn't discover the gospel, he recovered the gospel. And so we would look, I think everybody in the biblical counseling movement would agree that the church had lost sight of the value and the sufficiency of Scripture to help people with spiritual problems. And Jay stood up as a, he's a very powerful personality. He's about to turn 90, actually about this time when this uh, will be aired. And uh, just a, a, he's a guy that kind of an Athanasius, you know, if the world is against Athanasius, then Athanasius is against the world. He didn't, he didn't care that people were upset by what he was saying. Uh, he pointed out the unbiblical characteristics, presuppositions of secular psychology how Christians practicing secular psychology were, you know, ignoring what the Bible says in some ways. And so overall, the biblical counseling movement would be people who want to help others with their spiritual problems using the scriptures. You know, Psalm 19 says is that, that the law of the Lord restores the soul and enlightens the eyes. Second uh, Timothy 3, 16 and 17, you know, it equips us for every good work. It's, it's God-breathed and and, and so as people are struggling with conflict and depression and worry and fear and all the struggles of life, the Word of God for the believer has the path of wisdom to deal with these struggles in life. And for the one who is not yet a believer through the gospel, uh, that's the ultimate hope that they have and the transformation they need. So that's kind of a, a broad swath uh, explanation. In the last uh, 20 or 30 years, the, you know, the debates will exist exactly how you refine that definition. Yeah. What are what are some of the distinctives between, let's say, ACBC, CCAF, and uh, the Biblical Counseling Coalition? What 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 are some differences? I've always wondered this. Like, what what is the yeah? yeah. Um, that's a question I get asked a whole lot, and I guess. The Biblical Counseling Coalition has only been around for the last several years, and its purpose was probably to address some of what's behind your question, is you had not just ACBC and CCEF, but you have IABC and ABC and, you know, the rest of the alphabet in various orders of all hmm. these different organizations that say they're doing biblical counseling. You have various seminaries and Bible colleges who say they're doing biblical counseling. So the purpose of the Biblical Counseling Coalition was to be kind of the UN of those who are in the biblical counseling movement. And you and like we're actually getting together at the beginning of December when this when we're making this recording. And you get 50, 60 of these leaders, of which I have the privilege to be one. And we do talk through, you know, our how we approach things. We we've, we've got a a set of basic things in which we agree that's been written down. But then we, we hash out how do we make each other better, just communicating among these different organizations where there are some nuances of, of difference. Uh, in the beginning of the, our movement, that CCEF, Christian Counseling Education Foundation, was with Jay and other people, John Bettler, George Scipione, Wayne Mack, a lot of those people. That was a, basically they were a training and counseling center in the Philadelphia area linked to Westminster Seminary. And then they established NANC, which is now ACBC, and National Association of Neuthetic Counselors, and Neuthetic is just from the Greek word for counsel in Romans 15, 14. And the idea would be that CCF would be a training center, and then NANC was meant to be a, a certifying center, kind of parallel secular certifications like in 
licensed therapist or something like that. And the idea was it was actually a lot of the same people in both organizations, but one organization functioned for training. And the idea would be there would be several training organizations that would all funnel people into the certifying organization that would be some quality control and standards among those organizations. So ACBC became this certifying group. And now I think IBCD, originally CCF West, was probably the third training center. Now I think there are dozens of training centers that are ACBC who kind of meet the standard of the kind of training they do, which prepares people to go through the ACBC certification process. Now, over the years, with different leadership, CCF has evolved to have its own certificates, and ACBC has evolved to have its own training, and so they've kind of gone on each other's mission a little bit, uh, overlapping. And then CCF has kind of become the think tank for the movement. You had scholars who were you know, with the Journal of Biblical Counseling, which Jay originally started as the Journal of Pastoral Practice, I believe. But you've got the Ed Welsh, Dave Pallison, and you know, they've been kind of a think tank, uh, doing lots of writing, you know, significant books that Pallison and Welch especially have written, and, and you know, others in that group as well. And so I think now within the Biblical Counseling movement, you have people whether be, there have been evolving thoughts, I think Keith Lambert's book, uh, Biblical Counseling After Adams, talks about how all of us together, you know, just building on the foundation that Jay Adams laid, have seen more emphasis upon understanding not just people's sin, but also their suffering, uh, the centrality of the gospel, and not just the put off, put on. You know, CCF has usually been kind of on the leading edge of new approaches, thoughts, of applications of scripture. You know, a lot of emphasis they put upon understanding idolatry as the root of sin. ACBC has tended to be practitioners in the local church. CCF wants to emphasize that as well. Uh, there will, within the movement, the biblical counseling movement, be uh, the, the biggest controversies tend to be over what are the issues the Bible addresses and you know, what place is there for medications or are there secular or are there common grace insights in psychology or other research uh, or how, which of those are appropriate for us to include and which of those are actually implicitly denying the sufficiency of Scripture or even contrary to Scripture. And that's, as I said, when you get this uh, UN together at the BCC, you know, we'll talk about those things together and uh, you know, there will be with the same fundamental commitment to use the Bible to help people, uh, there will be people who have varying opinions about uh, kind of the, the, where does common grace come in in helping people. Um, and even with, the, but even within CCF and ACBC, there are varieties of opinion on those issues. You can't just say, well, here's CCF and here's ACBC, and that settles it. I mean, ACBC probably has the reputation as being a little more fundamental. And their commitment, they, they're not going to deny the use of drugs, tell people to stop taking meds, deny suffering, but they, they'd be a little more fundamental, a little more skeptical of when people start talking about let's use general revelation or common grace to help people. They're, they'll be more inclined to be concerned about the danger some of those approaches could take to denying the sufficiency of Scripture. But even, like I said, I've been to going to CCF conferences for years, and you'll have people in a bit of a spectrum within that organization, as with ACBC, in terms of how you would answer some of those issues. Yeah, I think, I think uh, yeah, that's definitely a, a great answer. Um, it definitely is, as you mentioned, a, a giant debate in the in the um, biblical counseling movement. How can people get involved in biblical counseling? Um, well, the biblical counseling movement began 
with a book called Competent to Counsel is based on Romans 15, 14, where Paul said to the entire church in Rome, not just the leaders, that concerning you, I'm convinced you're full of goodness, full of knowledge, able to admonish one another. And the book of Proverbs talks so much about how uh, you know, the the lips of the wise feed people. And so all of us, as many have said, all of us are counselors. It just depends whether you're any good or not. Mm-hmm. Uh, all of us are giving people advice. And for us as Christians, we all want to be learning the scriptures better so that we can be more wise as we speak into the lives of the people around us. And that can be something very informal. Just you hang out with friends. You talk to people after church. You, you know, you're talking to your spouse or your kids. And so we're giving advice. We're, and, and the more you can use the Bible, the better. Uh, there are going to be some people who are more gifted. I think this is where IBCD has been really strong, where you there are ways you can, in a church, IBCD has training where they, you have videos you watch, and it's something that anybody in the church can listen to, and quite a few could benefit from both understanding the value of Scripture to help people and a methodology which follows along with the uh, instruments in the Redeemer's hands, love, no, speak, do. It follows along with Wayne Mack's eight eyes and Jay Adams' methodology. It's all kind of similar stuff, but for the ordinary Christian to understand how do we think about listening to people and showing care for people and how do we think about using the Bible to help them once we have an understanding of what we think their issue is biblically? How do we give them assign, you know, assignment suggestions of things they can do or read or listen to? And I think within a church, you'd like to have, we often think of the, the Moses model in Exodus where you've got, you know, Moses took the toughest cases, but he had lots of elders around who could take the ordinary cases and then bump the tough ones up to him. And to have within the church many men and women who, you know, everybody you're hoping is thinking this way to some extent, but even to have a significant number at the level of your deacons and your elders and your women's ministry leaders and your home group leaders who who know the basics of how to do biblical peacemaking and and how to disciple people and how to uh, help people to think through their problems biblically and, and to get that idea and that mentality permeating the church. And and that's something that both CCEF and ACDC would say we want to see happen. And uh, I think IBCD is actually in one of the best positions to promote that is they've created material that ordinary Christians in the church can, you can listen to online for free, most of it, and, and grow to help people more effectively. Yeah, I think that's really excellent. Excellent answer. Uh, what are some uh, resources and books you recommend that our listeners pick up on biblical counseling? Well, uh, you said I could plug my own stuff, so... Uh, Go for it. Yeah, I mean, the writing that I've done has tended to be when, you know, I've been counseling both in the local church, but also in a counseling center type ministry for uh, 26, seven years, is I've tended to write where I had issues that counselees were facing over and over again, and I didn't have the book to hand them or the audio to hand them. So I think that um, you know some of the things I've done would be, on the simplest level, I've got four booklets by Shepherd Press, but one is called Help I Want to Change, which really explains uh, biblically how sanctification takes place, that sanctification is founded on the gospel. And the first imperative in the book of Romans is chapter 6, verse 11, consider yourselves to be dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ. And we don't want to rush people to the put off and the put on in Ephesians 4 until we're sure 
they understand the implications of Ephesians 1 through 3 and what it means to be in Christ. And But then the second part would be responsible to exert effort towards change. Another of those little booklets I wrote is called Help, I Need a Church. And I found for people coming to a counseling ministry, and what I mean is not to their own local church, that usually the biggest need they have is to be established in a church where their souls will be fed and cared for. And we were doing this ministry of IBCD for many, many years in San Diego. We, we counseled people from the community. Uh, many of them were in churches where they just didn't really engage in counseling. They wanted to farm it out. And I guess in one sense, it's better that they farm it out to biblical counseling than to something secular or you know, not as accurate to the scriptures. But we also realized that if they did not get established in the right kind of church, they would keep coming back because they didn't have the shepherding they needed. And so uh, that's a book. We, we didn't want them all to come to our church. We didn't want churches to perceive that we were trying to use a counseling ministry to grab people for ourselves. But um, so that's another resource. I've written three books on parenting, which is more specific. Uh Parenting is more than a formula, just in terms of that. The What the Bible says about parenting is actually pretty simple, and many people become legalistic by adding to that, this is the only way you can do it, and then formulaic in the sense that if you just follow it this way, if you follow our formula and do what our seminar says or our book says, that all your kids are going to turn out perfectly, and I try to establish biblically that just is not so. We're dependent upon the grace of God for our kids. I wrote two books with Elise Fitzpatrick on parenting, one is about dealing with rebellious kids. So you've read all the books, you've been to all the seminars, and your kids are teenagers, and they're getting in all kinds of trouble. It's called When Good Kids Make Bad Choices. And there's one uh, called uh, You Never Stop Being a Parent, which is dealing with the relationship between parents and their adult kids, which was something else where you had so many situations of parents coming in, and they've got a 25-year-old who still you know, sleeps till noon, isn't getting anywhere in life, playing video games and watching TV. What do I do? Or they've got a 24-year-old daughter who wants to get married, and they don't like the guy. And what do they do about that? And some Anyway, so those are some in the, that I've been involved in. I'm actually, believe it or not, leaving out a few. Uh, like marriage, divorce, and remarriage is the, probably the most important book I've written in that it, it deals with 40 questions dealing very comprehensively with entering into marriage. What is marriage? You know, How do you go about knowing whether you're ready for marriage and uh, you know, proceeding? You know, how do you know whom you should marry? How do you live within marriage and the roles of the husband and the wife and communication, everything, sex? But then the second part is what does the Bible say about divorce and remarriage? Jay wrote a great book over 30 years ago that covered the divorce and the remarriage part. But in the last several years, there have been developments both on the left and on the right in terms of uh, the permanence view of saying no divorce, no remarriage. And then also uh, David and Stone Brewer, like any covenantal failure is grounds for divorce. And Jay did not address those as much. They weren't as big a deal back then. So I interact with those pretty thoroughly as well. Um, in terms of an introduction to biblical counseling overall, I really think the IBCD website for listening uh, that we have an ACBC training course on there for free. It's called Karen Discipleship. It's a great way to be exposed to what biblical counseling is all about and how it differs from both secular psychology and even Christian counseling that's not so committed to Scripture. Uh, I think we could use a short book that you could hand people 
Um, you know, we like to give people instruments in the Redeemer's hand, but that is not a short book. It, it's uh, his love, no speak, do paradigm of Paul Tripp. It's an excellent book, and it gives a great overview. Some churches actually like go through it in a Sunday school class. We have to be pretty committed to uh, get through it. Just as another comment, general comment, actually, I found in counseling, we used to hand people uh, books when we were counseling them, and we realized they weren't reading them. Then we started doing booklets. And uh, we realized they weren't doing that either. And actually, I finally got done. Now we're producing counseling cards to give to people. Uh, but the audios have often worked really well. And that's why I think IBCD has something very special, because there are hundreds of audios on almost every topic you can imagine. And I found the people that I couldn't get to read a 50-page booklet driving around, especially in Southern California. It used to be I'd give them a cassette tape, now you know, then a CD, and now they can just bring it up on their phone. Uh, that they would listen sometimes multiple times to a message that way that would be applying the Bible to a particular problem. Of course, also for training, it's broadly what is biblical counseling all about and why is the Bible the best possible source of wisdom for people as they face the problems of life? And then how do you get better at using the Bible to help people? Definitely. Great answer. Great answer. Okay, so you knew these were coming. So uh, what are some of the strengths of the current biblical counseling movement? When I first started doing biblical counseling, which would really be in the early 80s when I was a young man trying to pastor in Saudi Arabia, I could take all the books I knew about that were trying to tell us how to do biblical counseling and fit them on about half a shelf. It was some things by Wayne Mack and Jay Adams, and Jay hadn't even written that much yet. And I just think it's amazing now that you have such a breadth of authors, men and women, from a lot of these different organizations represented in the Biblical Counseling Coalition, and you just have amazing resources where uh, both in terms of helping people in general from the scriptures, but also applying the scriptures to virtually every imaginable topic, to abuse, to people who have, you know, have post-traumatic stress. And so there's just a, a wealth of resources of people who have both interacted with the real problems that counselees are facing, but then work very hard to study the scriptures systematically and thoroughly with a, a strong theological foundation to bring people help from the Word of God. I'm also excited that one by one, different institutions, which either were neglecting counseling or were not emphasizing the use of the Bible in counseling. I'm thinking of especially for pastoral training and Bible colleges and seminaries now where you have so many more colleges and seminaries. And you know, even the last few years, like RTS Charlotte, institutions now with a new commitment to biblical counseling, and now you've got a generation of future pastors and leaders who are going to be trained in using the scriptures and spend a lifetime, hopefully, growing in their knowledge of the scriptures. The expression I use, making their Bibles thicker so that they can more effectively help people. So I think those are some of the great strengths that I see and just some wonderful men and women who, who love God's word and love people and are committed to and convinced of the wisdom of the Word of God is the best possible way to help people. Wonderful. Uh, I, I think one other strength that I see just from what you're what you've said here is is how um, how interconnected the biblical counseling movement is and how you guys are all in the movement are listening to each other, having conversation with one another. I've seen that for uh, the last decade especially since I've really been paying attention. Um, to this, and uh, I, I just really appreciate that. I, I, I appreciate the the conversation, um, learn from that, and just the way that people interact in the movement. I think is uh, is very very helpful, and um, it it gives me hope for 
also the church to, to learn that too. I think it's a good model for for how people should interact. It's been really a blessing for me. And I, again, this is like the Biblical Counseling Coalition has been really good for me because when you're, you know, sitting in your isolated silo and you read what somebody wrote and you think he may be a little off, uh, that's you, your attitude towards that person is greatly improved when you've had breakfast and lunch with them, you've prayed with them. You may not agree on every little detail, but you know there are people at BCC I'm excited about seeing uh, this next few days that, again, they wouldn't be exactly in the same part of the spectrum I am, but I count them as godly men and women and good friends. And that's been really great for me. But it, you know, it, it's really challenging in terms of how widely you draw your circle. And you know, people believe very passionately on you know, different statements in terms of the sufficiency of Scripture and all truth, God's truth, in terms of uh, common grace or general revelation. And so I guess maybe like some marriages is it's... It can be tough to hold the thing together. I, I think uh, my dear friend uh, Curtis Solomon, who's right now the director of BCC, it can be sometimes like herding cats to keep all of us in the movement uh, of talking together. But uh, I'm very thankful for the progress we've made. Mm, praise the Lord. All right. What do you see as some of the biggest issues in the current biblical counseling movement? Yeah, I think that we've touched upon this a little bit, and I can elaborate some now. I think that we all agree in general that the Bible is the most valuable thing to help people. We all agree in general that there are people with medical problems that can be helped by medical interventions. We also agree that there can be some common grace wisdom that, uh, you know, can benefit our counselees and that, uh, you know, they're listening techniques or question and answer techniques that aren't necessarily explicitly taught in the Bible, that they'll make you a better counselor. But I think that the challenge is knowing where to draw some of those lines and coming to agreement on that and just even on a personal level, just wisely interacting with extra biblical resources or even extra biblical wisdom. And there are different, I've actually come up with some analogies and your listeners and you can decide whether you think they're any good. Uh, when people say that you know, common grace wisdom is necessary for counseling. I think there's a certain amount of truth to that. I also have the great privilege of teaching a preaching course here at RTS, and it was one of the things that made me excited about coming here. But there's a sense in which when you preach, there's a lot of common grace knowledge I have to teach in a preaching class. The Bible doesn't tell you how to give a good speech. And so there's a college speech course that's not taught by a Christian that tells you how to organize a talk and how to you know, do gestures and how to use your voice and not to use verbal pauses and you know, all, all kinds of you know, the variety in the voice of pitch and volume and pace and pause. And, uh, and so there's a lot of common grace knowledge that's going to make you a better preacher rather than just biblical content, even just being organized, you know, not speaking for three hours and putting people to sleep, not rambling on as a running commentary, but having one main point that's uh, you know, developed in, let's say, typically three points and illustrating and applying. I mean, there's a lot of common grace wisdom that makes you a better preacher, but the content of your preaching is still God's word and nothing but God's word. And for me, that's the analogy in counseling is that there's, there's common grace wisdom that can help me do a better job as a counselor. And uh, I can benefit from that. But what we're thrilled about is still the scriptures. That's the content of the message we're delivering in the personal ministry of the word. And, Speaking about my concern is sometimes I find 
that even those who have said they've been in the biblical counseling movement, over time they get more excited about what some psychologists said or what we might categorize as some common grace attempted wisdom, and they've lost their thrill at the Word of God itself. And again, I'm not bothered that people find interesting and helpful things in those who aren't committed to biblical counseling or not explicitly from the Bible, but we should still be thrilled by the Word of God. It should be fresh and delightful, and we should be mining its treasures. There's no end to the depth of the wisdom of God in the Scriptures. I'm concerned sometimes it's almost like people feel like they've graduated from that and they need to have something beyond the Bible uh, to really make their counseling effective. I'm not denying there are things outside of Scripture in a common grace sense, like in preaching in a common grace sense, that can make us more effective. Uh, but I, you know, I'm concerned that some, that's now what they're all excited about. When you see what they're writing or blogging or talking about, they're all excited about something outside of the Bible rather than the Bible itself. So what you're saying is that the Bible should be central, not just, not that we're not concerned or interested in common grace wisdom, but the Bible should be central in our affections and in our in our thoughts and in our, actually in our ministries. Yes, absolutely. And then I think some people, the problem we've had with people who are not biblical counselors, Christians who are not biblical counselors, they'll treat the Bible as something simplistic, that you need something more, you know, more sophisticated to deal with people's complex problems today. I'm convinced that the Bible is, is God as being the author is the most sophisticated thing in the universe in terms of wisdom, and rather than looking for wisdom outside of the Bible for difficult problems, we need to dig more deeply into the Bible. But I'm concerned that some people who have been in our movement, again, it's like they've kind of moved on from mining the riches of Scripture to now where they're, it's not that there was no value outside, but that's now where they're putting all their effort is outside. Yeah, that 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 makes sense. Definitely. Just as we wrap up this conversation, and it's been it's been really uh, fun, sir, uh, to to talk to you today about this. Can you give us a few takeaways? What what kind of takeaways do you want uh, our listeners to take away about the the present and the future of biblical counseling? I guess my takeaway initially would just be that back to Romans fifteen fourteen is that you as a member of the body of Christ, have been by the Spirit of God, with the Word of God, given the wisdom of God and the knowledge of God to be able to help one another using the Scriptures. And there's one phrase I use, it's kind of my catchphrase, I, I googled it, I don't think anybody else said it before I did this way, but I, my phrase is, how thick is your Bible? And what that means is, as you encounter people, how much of the Bible, not whether you have, you know, tiny print and thin pages, but in life, how much of the Bible do you know well enough that you can use to help yourself and help others? And that we want uh, everybody in the church to have a Bible that's getting ever thicker so that as, as life happens to them and how happens to the people around them, they can access the scriptures and, and value what God has said. And as the Spirit applies these things to transform lives and give the help that people desperately need. Amen. Well, thank you so much, uh, Dr. Neuheiser, for your time today. I very much appreciate it. You, It's been very insightful, and I know that it's going to be very helpful to, to people who listen to it. So thank you for your time and uh, also for all that you're doing. Um, there at RTS and the Institute for Biblical Counseling and Discipleship. I look forward to um, reading more and uh, learning more about your ministry. So thank you, sir. Thank you, Dave. Lord bless you. You too, sir. 
Thank you so much for listening. We hope that you were encouraged by today's episode. Don't forget to subscribe and leave us a review wherever you get your podcast. For more uplifting and thought-provoking content, please visit us online at servantsofgrace.org. You can also follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Servants of Grace and on Facebook at facebook.com slash Servants of Grace. We hope you have a blessed day and we will see you next time.